Welcome to the Gathering at Adel's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. Man, you know, I was just, like, in worship, I was just going, man, whether you say yes or no or wait, you're still worthy. And blessing or breaking, my heart still cries, you are worthy. And I think it only comes, and maybe she's that smart, or maybe the Lord is that good, but it only comes for, Kelly leads us in that song. And then the only way that that is possible is by singing the next song, and it says that your love is a wellspring. I will never get to that place where I say, whether it's yes or no, or wait in the blessing or the breaking, in the pain and the suffering, or in the blessing, you're worthy if I don't know that within me there is a wellspring of his love. If I have to question whether I am loved by him, then when my circumstances don't seem to equate that, then I'll begin to question. And then I will all of a sudden say, you know what, maybe he's not worthy. Maybe I I need to take care of this myself. Our prayers are sometimes fragile. And, and, you know, you go through a week where where you look at, for for us, we we lost one of the pastors at, at Brock. He passed away. And you're like, man, what, Lord? Josh couple weeks ago lost his mom unexpectedly and you're like man if we don't have a right perspective of his love for us then we'll begin to question him we all want to point me and Josh were talking Friday before the holy night of volleyball me and Josh were talking and we're like we always want to we pray for a miracle like Lazarus had But we forget that Lazarus, he died. He rose again, but he still died. The the man that was healed of blindness, born blind, John 9, healed of blindness, so incredibly changed by God that people didn't even recognize him. But he still died. We lose perspective because when we're praying for somebody and we're like, Man, boy, let them live. Like we're, we're praying and we're crying out. There's still death. How many other times did he move in our lives that were a testimony to other people, but yet we're still going to die? It doesn't mean that when we get to that point, and, and, and if I end up on that, in that place, I, I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. Like, well, it's just his time. No, let's pray for it. Let's, let's, let's ask the Lord first before we just determine this in our own selves. <laughs> you know, I've, I've asked the wife, my wife for at least 24 hours. I think she agreed to 12 uh, to, to pray over that and just really consider that. But, you know, I mean, I think sometimes that our disappointments, we lose perspective because we think every time it's going to be what we want. And every time it's going to be, he's going to be saved. He's going to be risen from the dead. And, and, and it didn't work for Lazarus. 
when we gain that proper perspective of, our, of his love for us, then we could go, man, in the pain and the suffering, you are worthy. In the blessing, you are worthy. We have to get to that point where we're not as concerned about this life. Is it sad that Wynn Brown is not here? Is it sad that your mom is gone? Absolutely. But if I mourn too much, then, I, then I've lost perspective. This is, this is so short of a time. Everything that Jesus said and taught was that you're going to die. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Blessed are you when they hate you because they hated me first. This life is supposed to be full of suffering. Because it reminds us of the fragility of our bodies. That, that this is not our home. Not only is this not our home, but this is not our home. When we come to that revelation of that we are loved, then our hearts will cry, you are worthy. When you look at Psalm 13, it says, how long, Lord? Man, just listen. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemies dominate me? He says, consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. This psalm has been read and sung for centuries by people that were in the middle of suffering. Confusion, injustices. This is not something that's like, man, this, is, this, this, is, this was written just for today. This was written for thousands of years ago, for thousands of people in the middle of that. But listen to David. The, in verses 1 and 2, four times he says, how long, Lord? How long? How long? How long? Have you ever been there before where, where you've gone, man, Lord, how, how much longer do I have to deal with this sickness? How much longer do I have to deal with this disease? How much longer do I have to be concerned if it's going to come back? How, how long, Lord, am I going to have to deal with this person? How long, Lord, am I going to have to be always struggling with money? How long, Lord, am I going to have to this? How long, like, we go through those same questions. But, but what I love about this is this psalm doesn't end here. It says, but I have tr trusted in you. And your faithful love in my heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. God's love is faithful. He is trustworthy. And he treats us well. Most scholars agree that this was written uh, around the time that David was being chased by Saul. 
Y'all remember the story. Saul was the king. The Lord had given him instructions. He disobeyed because he thought he had a better way. So the Lord sends, I believe it was Samuel. Danny can fact check me on this. Samuel. He sends Samuel and says, hey, the throne's going to be removed from you. He sends him to the house of Jesse. He says, hey, let me see your sons. And he brings them all out. He says, no, nah, it could be you. You look like you should be it. He says, no, nah, it's not here, though. Is there any more? And he's like, da-da. And he's like, I like that. That was a good sound effect. Da-da. <laughs> oh, there's one more. He's just, he's just out there taking care of the sheep. But you don't want him. He's just the little guy. The Lord places the anointing on David. David goes and slays Goliath. He becomes a mighty warrior. And, and, and the throne had been taken from Saul. And it had been prophesied that it was going to go to David. The people loved uh, David. They, they had songs that they would sing when he would return from battle. I, I think I, I didn't even plan on saying this, so I hope I'm remembering it right. You know, it's like, man, Saul, they, they fall, what is it, like a thousand, but David, they fall about 10,000, you know, and like the people begin to love David. So David has to go on the run because Saul, who is still the king, does not enjoy that. David was on the run. This, this is open to. Bible trivia. How, how long was David on the run from Saul? Anybody want to take a guess? You can shout it out. Not Kelly. She knows probably. It's not fair. Anybody else? Take a guess. You can't be, well, you can be wrong, but we won't ridicule you to your face. Anybody want to guess? Have a group chat going on about it later on. Nobody. Okay. Seven years minimum, maybe up to 13. Saul is chasing David for seven years. And I've been crying about something that I haven't seen in two months. It's like, how long, Lord, is it going to take for this to happen? He's like, dude, it's been like two months. David, David's crying out, how long, Lord? Seven years. Years on the run, hiding in caves, fearing for his life, not knowing who to trust. And he cries out to him as he writes Psalm 13. And he says, how long? Like, Lord, how much more can I take? How much longer do I have to wait to sit on the throne that you've promised me? Are you all in the same boat sometimes? Like, Lord, I, I, know you, I know you've said this. Your word says that your promises are yes and amen. But man, I just don't see it right now. You, I, I know that I'm going to be healed of this, but I don't see it. I, I know that my son is going to come back, but I don't see it. So I say, how long, oh Lord? This is not an accusation towards God. David's not going, how long are you going to withhold it from me, you evil person? It's a cry of despair, of concern, of worry that's saying, how much longer have you forgotten me, God? Have you forsaken me? Are my enemies going to triumph over me? It's 
not, it's not an accusation towards God. It's a desperate cry from a man's heart. In the middle of suffering, injustice, and confusion, our, our emotions cannot be trusted. Our emotions skew our perspective of our circumstances. That's a good one, Janie. Thanks for writing that down. Our emotions skew our perspective of our circumstances. David's writing in 1 and 2. How long are you going to forget me? How, will you hide your face from me? He says, consider me. Answer me. Restore to me. And then verse 5 and 6. I've trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance and I will sing to the Lord. Because he has treated me generously. Martin Luther wrote and he said, Feelings come and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. My security is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. We get into these positions where we feel like he's forgotten us, where he's hidden his face from us. That, that we're all alone. And out of our emotions we cry, how long? We allow our emotions to skew our perspective of our circumstances. Like I, I'm, I'm concerned over something so fragile. And I say, how long, O oh Lord? But yet my brothers and sisters all across the globe are being tortured, beaten, raped, and killed for believing what, what I believe. And I have the audacity to say, how long, oh Lord, is my window not going to be able to roll up on my truck? How, how long, oh Lord, am I going to have to deal with? With this person. How long. Oh Lord. Are my kids going to annoy me. They're all. Not not y'all. The other ones. (laughs) I have the audacity. To say how long. Oh Lord. When the church. Is being persecuted. We say, how long, oh Lord, are we going to let these Democrats, are you going to let these Democrats run this country? How long, oh Lord, are you going to let them ruin Target? How long, oh Lord? And, and, and the church in Afghanistan is growing by the thousands every day because they're being martyred. But yet the church in America is being shrunk. I mean, th- there are going to be... The estimate is 400 Protestant churches are going to be closed this month. 400, just in here, just in the U.S. It's, It's dying because we're so concerned with our circumstances. We've confused the American dream with Christianity. And when I don't get all of that things, when I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, and I think that's the Lord blessing me, then it's like, oh man, Lord. How long? How long am I going to have to not get that boat that they've got? And David's saying, how long will you forget me forever? And th- those are some lighthearted how long, but I'm sure there, there, there are some real ones. 
He says, how long, Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? David felt that God was not aware of him or the seriousness of the situation. You ever feel that way? You feel forgotten. You feel like, no, but Lord, you don't, you don't know how serious this thing is. Like I'm really, because he says, have you forgot, will you forget me forever? So he's obviously prayed for this before. Like, do you not understand how serious this situation? I'm on the run. I'm on the run for my life. Do you not know how serious this is? The first thing that the enemy will do is to try to convince you that God has forgotten you and he doesn't care. He will try to isolate you so that you think, he forgot about you. Oh, look, look at what he did for that person. Look at how he came through there. Oh, he really blessed them. He doesn't care about you. Maybe he forgot about you. The enemy will try to get us to question whether he knows us and cares for us. The enemy, next thing that the Lord, or that David said, how long will you hide your face from me forever? You feel that God has forsaken you. And sometimes we, we put that on ourselves. We don't even let the enemy do that to us. We put that on ourselves. We say, because I've sinned, or, or I said that word, or I made fun of Curtis one too many times, or I watched that inappropriate thing, or I drank, was I, I talked to my kids the way I was supposed to do. And then we run from him. And then we're like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Like, how long, Lord, will you turn your face from me? The enemy will always make you think that you're alone in your suffering. That God has removed his presence from you and that you are no longer welcome. Just as much as the Lord is saying over you, I love you, I love you, I love you. The enemy is saying he does not mean that. You're not loved, you're not worthy. How can he love you? Look at all of that. Look at all that you've said and done. How could someone love you? If everybody knew all of your things, they wouldn't even love you. The enemy will make you believe that you are alone and that God has turned his back on you. David's in verse 2 says, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. You have those feelings of doubt and despair. We say, man, Lord, how long? And we begin to question whether God is really good or not. We begin to, to doubt his character and his faithfulness. David was in mental and emotional turmoil. I love that Brady had the, not Brady, but the Holy Spirit had that led us to pray for that exact thing, mental and, and emotional turmoil and and uh, we, that's, that, that's where I feel like the Lord was talking to us today in this. David was in a mental and turmoil, uh, emotional state. His thoughts were overtaking him. They were out of control and they were running rampant. The enemy will sow, sow seeds of doubt to get you to question who God is. You will begin to feel those thoughts of doubt and despair. And they begin to overtake you. 
You ever, have you ever been on like day three of an argument with somebody and they didn't even know it? <laughs> you know? It's like, man, <laughs> going to bed mad, you're waking up mad, and it's like, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong. Leave me alone. Like, and, and you've just had this argument all day. You get quiet time at, the wor- at work, things kind of calm down, and man, those thoughts just come right back. The enemy wants to get you to sow these seeds of, of doubt and despair. He, he just whispers little things, like, like when he tempted Eve. He just said, hey, did the Lord really say that? And then she's like, you know, did he? Maybe, I, I don't know. No. You know, it's, it's just a little seed of doubt is all it takes. And then it says, how long will I store up anxious concerns? They run rampant with us. How long will my enemies dominate me? You'll get that feeling that your enemy is continually defeating you. You have a sin that you're struggling with. And you're like, how long, Lord? How long am I going to deal with this? This sickness, how long am I going to have to deal with this? How long? It just feels like every way I turn, the enemy's winning. Saul was still king and it was supposed to be David, yet David is on the run for his life. So it probably seemed like David's enemy was winning. But how about this perspective? But every day that David lived was another day that his enemy did not win. Have you ever thought about it that way? You're like, how long, Lord? How long do I have? Every day that David was alive was a day that Saul did not win. Every day that you are alive is a day that the enemy has not won. The enemy has been defeated. He knows that, and his plan is to make sure that you never know that. The battle's over. He's been defeated. Like, it's not this, like, Star Wars, good versus evil, light versus darkness. The enemy's defeated. His only goal is to prevent you from knowing that. That's all he can do. God's love is faithful, he is trustworthy, and he treats us well. Our feelings often run contrary to the truth in times of distress, despair, and suffering. I, I love what it says here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I, I got a new Bible. Uh, I've been using a, uh, it's still same thing, same Christian standard Bible. I've been going with a She Reads Truth for like five years, and uh, I had to give that one up. So it just got, it was falling apart. But what I loved is like it knew right where I was going, and now it's like these pages are stuck, and they, I don't get it. That one knew me. This one doesn't know me yet, so we'll get it. How long, Lord, am I going to deal with these stuck pages together? Listen to this, Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. We must force our minds to focus on what is true. When we come to times of suffering, to trial, to despair, to those questions of how long, we have to force our minds to stay to what is true. It's a lot easier to believe the lie than it is to believe the truth because he makes the lie seem so good. When, when, when Satan tempted Eve, it, it was, she saw that it, was, it looked good. 
It was good for food. And that it could help her attain knowledge. Like It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like she was looking at a rotten fruit. It, it looked good. I, somehow fruit can look good. I, I mean, I picture a nice, cool can of Dr. Pepper hanging in that tree. You know, I was like, man, that does look good, Lord. You know, but it was, it was allegedly fruit. And he made it look good. The lie is enticing. You have to hold to what is, what is true. The enemy will say that God has forgotten you. But the truth of his word says that you are not forgotten. Matthew chapter 6, 26 through 32. It's talking about Jesus is talking. He's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, hey, why, why do you worry? The birds don't worry about that. Nobody's worrying about clothes and food. Like He takes care of all of that. Sure. Surely you're worth more to him than birds. Listen to this out of Isaiah chapter 49. Once again, be patient with this sticky page Bible. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. This is, this is the Lord talking about restoring salvation to Zion. It says, Zion says, the Lord has abandoned me. The Lord has forgotten me. But here's, here's the Lord's reply. Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Like, the enemy wants you to go, oh man, he forgot you. He's taking care of everybody else. And the Lord's saying, I... Not only did I not forget you, I cannot forget you. I have you on the palms of my hands. Is that not incredible? It says that, that the enemy wants us to feel forsaken, rejected, and abandoned. But the, the truth, these are what you have to hold to. The truth of his word is that you're not. Matthew 28, when Jesus is sending out his disciples after the resurrection, he says, I want you to go into all the earth. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll go with you to the ends of the earth. Joshua 1, 9, he's like, hey, be strong and courageous. Again, I'll say it again. Be strong and courageous. And he's like, I'll be with you wherever you go. Listen to this out of another Isaiah. I think it's 43, 2. If you're writing it down, i got to make sure my writing is correct. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. These are the truths that we have to go through, that we have to hold to, because when we come to those times where we're like, man, He's like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never turn my back on you. I will never abandon you. Not only that, but I have now adopted you into the family of God. And you are not only a son, but you're an heir with Jesus Christ. You're co-heirs with him. These are things that we have to begin to go through. You feel that your thoughts of doubt and despair will overwhelm you. Listen to this. We're, through his strength, we are more than overcomers. Here's the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses eight, starting in verse 8.
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I just love it. It goes all the way. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right? That, that those thoughts of doubt and despair where they try to overwhelm you, no way. You will not be defeated where your enemies that lie that your enemies will overtake you you will not be defeated the same spirit that raised jesus christ from the dead lives in you we are more than overcomers the enemy wants to make you think that you will be defeated no every enemy of us has been defeated already even death death what used to hold us down no longer holds us down there's no sting of death there's no fear of death for those who are in christ jesus because death in this life just means life eternal to pass from this life to the next is not to die. It's to be with our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. If you're, if, you're, if you're in Christ, you'll never die. That seems preposterous. But it's the central verse of all of, creation, cre, of all of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him what shall not perish but will have eternal life. We have a wrong perspective of death. Of pain and suffering. I mean, the, the, enemy, the enemy thinks that he can cause my body to suffer and that that's going to do something to me. It's going to get me to not deny the Father, to reject his love. How fragile is that? That he thinks he can, he can strike me with something and I can be like, oh, okay, well, that's all over now. No. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Because I don't have to question whether I'm loved or not. This past Sunday we were leaving church. Just going out this way because we live that way on 1885. About to hit 281 and there was a, a major accident. Motorcyclist got hit by a car. Me and, me and Ben were kind of one of the first ones on, on the scene. Maybe second or third. It, it just causes you to begin to reaffirm that truth in me that says, Father, man, you're good. Even if something were to happen to me like this, I'm not going to turn my back on you. You've never turned your back on me. I'm never going to turn my back on you. And if the enemy thinks that he can come after my body, that that's going to cause me to reject him, he better try something else. I don't even like this body anyways, because the Lord said... I'll just suck in while I preach. And I'll, uh, I mean, like, <laughs> this body is temporary. When I get to go be with the Lord Jesus, I get a glorious body that he gives me. 
Like we cry out how long, how long, how long over so fragile things. Here's what I want to say that This psalm has a purpose, and for me, I believe that it shows the process of being able to withstand doubt, despair, injustice. We look at the world full of sin. There's a process in here that goes, okay, this is how we do it. It starts off with how long, how long. There's this cry of desperation. And then he says, consider me, answer me, Lord. Show your face to me. And I feel like the Lord does because then, then David goes, I've trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. When we come into these times, these seasons of doubt and despair, of tragedy, of suffering, of hardships, we have to walk through them with faith. David did not believe his own feelings. By faith, he turned to God. He said, man, how long, how long, how long, how long, Lord? And he goes, well, but I'll trust you. Penny, uh, Penelope is our, our five-year-old. She, uh, she can tell stories with excruciating detail. I mean, she won a superb storyteller at, at school it wasn't even a close race. No, no recount, no stop the vote. Like, she got it. She earned it. I mean, just excruciating details. So like, okay, babe, come on now. So many words by like 8 a.m. It's like, you're done for the day. Just stop. <laughs> and, you know, probably not, not y'all, but probably just me. Sometimes when the kids are talking to you, you're like, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, you're doing something else. Once again, probably not you, an indictment on myself. You're like, yeah, well, Penelope, she, she not only is excruciating detail, she also uh, perception. She's like, she'll always be like, Dad. I'm like, yeah, babe, I hear you. She's like, look at me. So then, like, she'll stop telling her story, and then it's like, okay, look at me. And you're like, okay. And then she's like, and then I was like, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, so then you, like, slowly turn away, start doing something else. She's like, Dad, look at me. And you're like, oh, yes, baby girl. I'm sorry, you know. That's where David is. He says, consider me. The, the, the word right there actually means show your face to me. Where, where he said, how long will you hide your face from me? He says, let me see your face. He says, dad, let me see your face. Look at me with regard. Pay attention to me. I, I, I'm feeling forgotten and forsaken. Will you look at me? David did not let his feelings get in the way. And he, to, by faith, he turned to God. When we feel forgotten or abandoned, when we feel that God is far off, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to say, oh, he's hid his face from me. His favor is gone. He, he's abandoned me, but no. David, David pushed through those emotions. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He, he just keeps looking at the Father and says, Hey, Dad, look at me. Consider me. Look at my face. Our faith 
in who God is and what He is able to do will get us through any circumstance. It says that Abraham did not waver in his faith. This is in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, 21. It says that he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but he was strengthened in his faith, faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced of that what God had promised he was able to do. Did not waver in his faith. And it says because of his faith is what was credited to him righteousness. We have to come into a place. If we're going to get through times of, of suffering, of trial, of tribulation, we are not going to be able to waver in our faith because James 1 says, 1, 6 says that if you ask for anything in doubt, you're, you're like wavering. The wind is blowing you about to and fro. You'll never get what you want. We have to stand steadfast in our faith of who God is and what he is able to do. I love how he goes right here, his, his faith, he reaffirms his faith in verse 3. He says, consider me, answer me, and look at this wording that he says, Lord my God. Lord, all caps, the latter part is lowercase, Lord my God. Look at me, Dad. Look at me, Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. He uses the name of the covenant making God. He's like, we made a covenant together. Yahweh, do you remember that? Consider me. Look at me. Remember that covenant. Because God cannot break his covenant. So he's calling back to mind. Hey, remember me? That guy that we made a covenant together with? Yeah, that's me. And he says, Lord, my God, Elohim, strong, mighty, O powerful one. So what he's saying is, I feel like you have forgotten me. I feel like you had your face from me. I feel like there's anxiousness, concerns are within me. They're about to overtake me. My enemy is going to dominate me. And he says, but you're Yahweh, the covenant-making God who is strong and powerful. He's renewing his mind to the truth of who God is and what he is able to do. We have to wait and have faith. That he is able to do what he says he can do because God's love is faithful. He is trustworthy and he treats us well. The second way is, is we have faith and then prayer. Prayer reveals where our trust lies. If in our suffering, despair, our doubts, we aren't praying, then that reveals where our hearts are. David cries out, how long, how long, how long, how long? And then he says, consider me, look at me and answer me. He's praying. He's crying out. Sometimes we don't pray because we, we know the answer. And we don't want to hear the answer. We would rather do it ourselves. We trust ourselves rather than God. The key to overcoming doubt, despair, trials is a daily dependence on Him. And that comes through honest conversations that we call prayer. We have turned prayer into a wish list, a needs. We've made it into something where we just go to God and we ask for all of these things. But prayer is about renewing our minds to God's faithfulness and to his promises. Prayer takes our eyes from what's around us to who's above us. It takes it from, prayer takes, it, takes the focus off of all of this 
and it puts it squarely back on him. Our prayers can be selfish, but here David is saying, let me see things from your perspective. He says, consider me and answer me, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. What he's saying is, I need to see it from your perspective. In the middle of distress and despair, have, have you done that? You know, uh, especially praying, praying for uh, our friend, Wynn Brown, praying for, for other people. You're like, oh man, you're just going for it, man. And then you have to pray and say, but let me, let me see this from your perspective. Let me, let me pause. Answer me. Enlighten my eyes, Father. Let me see things from your perspective. Because there are things that I've been praying for in my life that I've realized that's not what God wanted for me. That's what Jeff wanted for Jeff. I thought it was. It sounded good. I made it sound good. I convinced myself of it. Probably convinced some of y'all of it. You know, I thought, man, this is good. This is what I need. If I just had this. But the prayer is, Father, let me see this from your perspective. So that I can pray more rightly. To see the bigger picture builds our faith in God. It shows that he is someone that you can trust. When we, when we begin to pray these prayers, we begin to see the revelation of his plan. You know how it's just like, hey, what's the next, what's the next step, next step, next step? And we just want the next step, the next step, and the next step. When we pray, the Father reveals those things to us. He's not going to lay it all out for us, but he reveals just enough to know that he's trustworthy. Okay, we're going to end. Come on, 1140, stick with me. Last one is hope. We, we wait in faith, we wait in prayer, and we wait in hope. Here's Romans chapter 5. Would have already been there in my old Bible. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint. We wait with hope. With joy, excitement, anticipation. Have you ever noticed that, that when you're, after you've been married for a little while, it's like a double digit fight here, right? If you've been married at least 10, this will be a fight. You know, the earlier fights, those, those don't even matter. The laundry, the floors, on the, the dirty laundry on the floor, whatever, right? The double digit fights, they're trying to break you down at this point, you know, like, okay, all right, let's go. And uh, have you ever waited for somebody? You know, maybe, maybe they're not as quick as you at getting, getting ready, or actually maybe they're probably taking more of more kids or more things. I'm not talking about you, babe. <laughs> Calm down. You know, and, and you wait, and you wait. You go start the car, then you come back inside, and you fiddle around and do something. Hey, babe, you want me, or not babe. Uh, hey, somebody, uh, do you want me to grab? Do you want me to grab your purse for you? No, it's fine. Okay, so you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. 
what happens is when we begin to change that perspective of what it means to wait, instead of waiting on God to move, we begin to wait with God. We become invested in that. Because waiting on someone is not very fun, hypothetically. (laughs) Waiting with someone with joy and anticipation of something that's going to be birthed out. Man, that's fun most of the time. For him it is, for her, right? But, but to be waiting, to change that perspective of, man, I'm not waiting because I'm anxious. I'm waiting in anticipation with hope of, man, what the Lord is going to do because it is going to be so good. We have to change our perspective. God is better than you think he is. All day, every day. I don't care if you've been following him for 70 years. He's better than what you think he is. We can hope and we can wait and hope because he's even better than what we think he is. Hope does not disappoint and God will not disappoint you. He treats us well. He is generous. He does not withhold from us. Hope is in opposition to doubt. When you begin to look at this, this hope as we draw near to him. When we lose hope, we lose sight of God. We begin to say, when we begin waiting on God, we begin to have those conversations of, I deserve this, I earn this, what's taken so long. The only thing that me and you have ever earned was death. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. God's love is faithful, he is trustworthy, and he treats us well. If you find yourself asking these questions, how long, how long, how long, how long, can I encourage you to wait in faith, wait in prayer, and wait in hope? It might not change your circumstance, but it will definitely change you. I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for your goodness. Thank you that we can look through the Psalms and learn more, not just about you, but we can just see your character and your goodness. Father, I pray that you would just teach us how to wait with you. How the waiting will build up anticipation and joy and hope in us. Father, we love you. May may you just use us this week. We surrender our lives, our plans, and our purposes, and we say use us however you want to this week. Father, may we be a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.